So I'm Writing a Novel is the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel, from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also answer listener questions and, sometimes, interview special guests. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. Last time, I walked you through the process by which I made a new best friend, which is to say I created Tiravam, the person who will be Vo's best friend during these Fritz Leiber-inspired Fafnagri Masserish stories that I'm going to be using for my second quarter of my novel. As I record these very words, I have worked out what I feel is enough to know about this city to feel comfortable writing the four, maybe more, stories that are going to be set there. But I don't have a name yet. And I need a name. I can't just keep writing in my notes. Lankmar in quotation marks, or not Lankmar, or, <laughs> you know, uh, TBD, because um, if I keep writing, you know, Lankmar or not Lankmar, then I'm going to keep imagining somebody else's creation for my stories, which is not a good way to go, I don't think. And with how my brain works, if I write, you know, TBD or uh, leave a blank space or something, then my brain is again going to just fill it with what I know is my primary reference point in the beginning of all this, which is someone else's creation. So again, I can't do this. I have to have a name for this city. I have to have a name by the end of this recording. I will have a name for this city. All right. You heard it here. I'm promising. I can't break that promise because I will be struck down by the podcasting gods. One can only assume. So there will be a name for this city, but that's going to be the end. Where did I begin? Oh, and I will take a quick chance to remind you that as ever with this podcast, I'm just sharing what I did. I'm not trying to say this is the way to do it. Right then. So where did I start? I started kind of the way I started when I wanted to come up with a protagonist character for one of the first few chapters or, you know, for my best friend character for this section. I started by just putting a off the dome at a on the top of a page. And then I just made a bullet point list of everything I could think of that I had already been thinking about while I've been working on other parts of the novel when my mind would wander to this. Some of these items included that I, I knew I wanted a mixture of cultures fueling creativity in the arts and progress all around, often leading to hybrids of cultures and cultural practices. I knew I wanted it to be a mighty city-state, not part of a grander nation, because then I felt that might shift focus a bit. Oh, well, what about the rest of this country? No, 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 I want the reader to be thinking about this city and what my two characters are doing charging around inside it. I also knew I wanted there to be a religious plurality, no one monotheistic church dominating the whole thing, or if there ever that, that ever does happen, like it doesn't happen for very long, it's usurped or whatever. In my mind's eye, I always saw it as a port, but with a lot of land at its back, and located roughly equidistant from both Vo's island that she leaves in the very first chapter, and Tiravam's noble manor in far away, not India. A port, of course, can be something through which other interesting characters and peoples and so on and so forth can flow into the city, and out from which my two characters can go off to have a little adventure outside the city if they need to do that for part or all of a story. And so you can see a theme kind of already happening here where I want this place to be 
big and exciting and diverse and just have all kinds of possibility in it, which is also why I have made my next note uh, just simply saying I'm not fussed about dystopia or utopia because dystopian and utopian type settings are generally speaking pretty stagnant until the big moment of revolution or whatever, which is just not what I'm doing here. So yeah, it's definitely a city with its pluses and minuses and its ups and downs and all arounds. Is it great? Is it terrible? Depends on what kind of day you're having and how rich you are probably. But yeah, as diverse as it is, it's going to have some kind of overwhelming theme to it, you know, some some kind of like, what, what, what is what is the general background for this thing? Well, in my mind, it was once a kind of uh, Mediterranean, medieval Spanish in terms of how the buildings looked. But I knew now that I didn't want to have anything kind of Eurocentric anymore than I wanted something kind of, I don't know, some Orientalist thing where it just like, uh, Arabian markets and so on and so forth. I, I, I don't know. It just none of that appealed to me. Uh, but then I thought, well, again, you know, uh, as I think I mentioned last episode, Africa, West Africa, perhaps more specifically, the Kingdom of Benin, B-E-N-I-N. -N. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Now, of course, you have an internet connection if you want to make a deep dive, and a deep dive is not what we need right now. I'm just establishing that this very long-lived kingdom uh, with origins going back to, I believe, the 11th century AD and running all the way up till the British Empire, alas, put pay to it in 1897, is a very interesting, very vibrant uh, African kingdom, and it could be something for me to look to for inspiration when I'm figuring out the culture of this city-state that in my head is vaguely in a kind of West African location. There are two reasons that I'm drawn to this area, which, uh, by the way, the Kingdom of Benin uh, was located within what is now currently known as Lagos. The first reason is the kind of dreamy logic going on in my imagination where I want this place to be roughly equidistant from where our two characters are from and India to Lagos and, you know, the Shetland Islands to Lagos. Close enough for horseshoes and hand grenades in my mind, although I imagine if I did the math on that, India is much further away. But yeah, I like the idea of my two outsider sword and sorcery buddies here, Vo and Tiravan, being equally far away from this city, that they are both outsiders within. The other reason, frankly, is something I'll get into more detail in a few minutes, but uh, I was going to write a novel set in a kind of near-future Lagos, a novel I was going to call Feral City, a novel that after a lot of hard thinking and noodling and coming back to it and leaving it alone and so on, I decided it wasn't really the story for me to write, but I still had all that research I had done, and I still found it a very, uh, you know, Lagos a very, very interesting city. So, but first, before I get into that, I'm going to say what I did next after making my off-the-dome what-do-we-want list which some of that list was not even statements, it was questions like, you know, has this city ever been conquered or has it been free from ever being colonized by a bigger nation? And in the end I said, hey, let's say it's never been colonized, I like that better. A couple of other questions were things like, do they see themselves as the center of the world? Does the city have that kind of ego? And are the animals that will be strange to my characters, uh, my two protagonists here, um, that are local to this place, are they going to be like, centaurs <laughs> or are they going to be strange like an elephant would be strange to someone from Gallic uh, France. So right, what did I do next? It wasn't actually to go into my research for that old novel because I well, I didn't want to just do a one-to-one -one conversion of a modern day city. I just was looking for further inspiration and then I was like, well, I still feel kind of lost. I'm still looking for more inspiration. Mm. 
And I went back to a tool that I have been slowly building for myself for quite a while, which is a notebook I mentioned, I think, in the research episode, but that was a while ago. I'd love to buy every nonfiction book I read, <laughs> but that's simply not practical. So when I get out a really good nonfiction book from the library and I, I'm like, oh man, I want to take notes. There's stuff in here that's usable, even if it's not for anything I'm doing right now. It feels juicy. Well, then I make notes in this notebook. And so I went to my nonfiction research notebook, which has an index at the beginning of all the nonfiction books I've taken stuff from that helped me quickly find within it what I'm looking for. And I looked for a book I remembered reading, oh man, two, maybe three years ago. It's called Imaginary Cities, A Tour of Dream Cities, Nightmare Cities, and Everywhere in Between by Darren Anderson. Here's a little bit of how the publisher describes it. Inspired by the surreal accounts of the explorer and man of a million lies, Marco Polo, Imaginary Cities charts the metropolis and the imagination and the symbiosis therein. A work of creative nonfiction, the book roams through space, time, and possibility, mapping cities of sound, melancholia, and the afterlife, where time runs backwards, or which float among the clouds. In doing so, Imaginary City seeks to move beyond the cliches of psychogeography and hauntology to not simply revisit the urban past or our relationship with it, but to invade and reinvent it. Following in the lineage of Borges, Calvino, Chris Marker, and Kenneth White, the book examines the city from global macrocosm to the microcosm of its inhabitants' perspectives. It proceeds through opium dreams, sea voyages, the hallucinations of prisoners, nocturnal decadence, impossible Soviet skyscrapers, marauding golems, subterranean civilizations, apocalyptic prophecies, and the work of architectural visionaries such as Antonio Santiella, Archigram, and Buckminster Fuller. It rethinks the ideas of utopias and dystopias, urban exploration, alienation, and resistance. It claims that the situationists lacked ambition when they suggested, beneath the paving stones, the beach. Instead, beneath the paving stones, we may just be able to discern the entire universe. Imaginary Cities demonstrates that each city dreamt up by artists, writers, architects, and lunatics has a real-life equivalent, and that the great Marco Polo was no liar. Imaginary cities need not simply exist in fiction or the mind. We already inhabit them. So, what the heck does all that mean exactly? Well, it means that it's a really interesting text with ideas and notions from all over the show that do tie back into not only the concept of what a city can be, but what an imaginary city can be as it relates to a reader or viewer of a film or whatever. And that really intrigued me. It also meant that I could benefit from all of the research that this guy did reading far and wide instead of having to do it myself, which is great. <laughs> Something a little more loopy and esoteric like this book was also of interest to me because, frankly, I have been a tabletop role-playing game hobbyist, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and that kind of thing, since I was 11. And therefore, I'm kind of bored at the prospect of looking at a more traditional world-building book which might have a kind of series of prompts or almost Mad Libs-like forms to fill out that would be akin to the what's called a splat book uh, in role-playing games, which is or a source book, you know, essentially a book that's just nothing but details about a fictional setting meant to inspire and provide tools for someone who wants to run a role-playing game for their friends, right? So you could expect a detailed list of interesting people and places, factions, like places like neighborhoods within a city perhaps, uh, factions as I say, that kind of thing, rules on the culture and all that stuff for you to pick up and run around with, right? 
I loved reading these books uh, as a young teenager who was first getting his feet wet in that hobby, and I still enjoy reading them now and again in the present. But as I've gotten older and gotten much better at running those kinds of games and just a lot more experience, you know, as you do, we get experience to get better at doing things, usually speaking, I have found that I have erred on the side of something that is a very different philosophy called minimal prep, <laughs> where you just prepare the absolute minimum, of course, of what you need to be able to run and largely improvise a game at the table with your friends. I find this method very enjoyable and not just because of, you know, insert joke about my being lazy and not wanting to do a lot of prep here. It's also because, as anybody who's ever run a role-playing game will tell you, you don't know what your players are going to do. And unless you really box them in, which isn't, generally speaking, fun, they're probably going to surprise you and you're going to need to be able to roll with it. So you might spend a lot of time preparing a city that you want them to visit only to have them go there just long enough to buy food and say, eh, we want to leave and go somewhere else. Or maybe they stay in the city, but then they really want to investigate something to do with one of the major religions that they think they can get a scheme going with, rather than investigating the mysterious cheese monster that you keep dropping clues about. And oh god, do you want them to investigate that cheese monster? Because you wrote a novel's worth of backstory explaining the cheese monster and how it's just the tip of the spear of an amazing conspiracy stretching back through thousands of years of history that you also wrote. Da -da 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 -da. What does this have to do with me and my novel, aside from the fact that I'm writing a sword and sorcery fantasy novel and the common image of role-playing games is Dungeons and Dragons, although it's in many other settings and it's a good hobby, but that's another podcast. <laughs> what this has to do with me running my novel and what kind of texts I'm looking to to help guide me while I'm designing this city that I'm going to set at least four stories in is this. When I am writing, I am both the game master running the game and the players, and I might surprise myself and wind up making me have to throw out a bunch of junk I wrote that it turns out I don't really need. And this isn't me trying to be overly whimsical or to mystify the writing process, like, oh, I just never know what directions my pen will take me, oh. No. What it is is me acknowledging the fact that sometimes I will get inspired in ways that I didn't plan for. In fact, for the most part, you can't really plan on how you're going to be inspired. And I don't want to restrict myself. I don't want to down the line get a really great piece of inspiration. I mean, you can't follow every idea. Otherwise, you would never have a coherent story. But, you know, sometimes I, I want to have more freedom to be able to follow middle or late stage inspiration. So I don't want to lock everything down right now at the beginning. So I don't want to fill out a big Mad Libs. I don't want to write a, a role playing game source books worth of detail about this city. I don't want to get lost into like, well, what is the sewage system like? And do the merchants hate the people who are uh, in government? Or da, 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 da. I, don't, I don't want that because it, it will mostly pen me in unless I, I suppose a really, truly great idea comes to mind and I have to work out one of these things. So that leaves me far more interested in a book like Imaginary Cities by Darren Anderson, which is just a wealth of intriguing notions that I can pick up and put down and play with and potentially be inspired by. A book with things in it like, you know, on one page it'll have a quote uh, from Sukutu uh, Meta. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. The quote is this, the villagers who came to the city do not forget the village. Oh, okay, yeah, that gets me thinking. Yeah, it's true, actually. Maybe like one of the ethnic groups in this place is still very rural, but they are you know recently moved into the city and they brought their culture with them. Okay, yeah, that's an interesting thing to think about. 
And then in the very next, you know, a few pages, it might talk about, you know, remember the Maginot Line? Ah, oh, yes, the Maginot Line, that long defensive line France built after World War One, thinking, yes, the Germans will never roll over us again. They certainly won't develop new tactics and uh, better tanks and roll over these defenses that are, oh, dear, they did it. It's World War Two. They did it. Nuts. Uh, they just drove around the damn thing with their really cool new tanks. Like, okay, well, what if there's a fantasy equivalent of the Maginot line that makes up part of this city or, you know, ruins underneath it or something? I don't know. That's kind of cool. And so on and so forth, right? And sure, some of the ideas that I encountered in that book, many of them, most of them, were not pertinent for what I was doing or just didn't spark joy. Even some of the ideas that I chose to write down in that original research notebook or to copy over into my denim, you know, novel project notebook I might not use them or I might look at them again later and be like, uh, yeah, actually, that's a little too abstract. I, I don't know how to connect that to anything. But a lot of them are really good. And a lot of them got me thinking about things that I don't think uh, straightforward. You know, what is the sewage system? Uh, where do they get uh, food from? A uh, list of kind of questions would have inspired me to consider. Now, I know that people, many, many, many people have pulled really interesting stories and notions out of things like, well, where do they get the food and so on? But I know myself, and I know that's not the kind of thing I'm interested in writing, even though I have read the odd book, which includes an almost absurd level of detail about the setting and enjoyed it. I'm not poo-pooing that, and I'm certainly not poo-pooing it if that's what you enjoy, but I have to think about what I enjoy creating, right? Speaking of which, I've done a what's off the top of my head list. I've done a what can I find inspiration from and found, lucky me, my old research notes of this really dense book of inspiration and intriguing thoughts and what have you related directly to what it is I'm trying to do. Nice. What next? Well, now to think about something that I really wanted to create before, but ultimately chose not to, which was that ultimately abandoned novel I mentioned earlier, Feral City, it was called. In fact, it even came out of me being really fascinated by, well, a bunch of ideas that were all kind of swirling around I wanted to connect, as tends to be the case, one of them being the concept of a feral city, which is a city that is not quite, you know, barbarous and separated from all of society. It still has connections to the global trade and so on and so forth. But it's not really a part of the country it's in anymore. And there's definitely a sort of Mad Max-ish, you know, might makes right situation going on in terms of keeping the peace such as it is. I believe an example I saw used before was uh, Mogadishu in the mid-90s during the whole Black Hawk Down setting era kind of thing. The primary reason I chose not to go ahead and write that novel was, frankly, me realizing that no amount of research could make up for the fact that I had never been to Lagos, and I was unlikely to have the funds to be able to just go on a trip over there and do a bunch of research, and even then still be someone who had only ever visited it. Now, I know some people are probably thinking, well, you've never visited ancient Rome, but you might write a story set there if you read a bunch of books and stuff, and it's like, yeah, I know, but Lagos is now, and... It's full of people who would quite fairly potentially see the book and be like, what is this bullshit? Even with the slight remove of it being set in the near future. Just, uh, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't feel right to me. But I did do a lot of research and I did really enjoy doing it. And I did learn a bunch of neat stuff that even if I never use it in any writing ever, fine. I expanded my view of the world and that's good. That's one of the biggest benefits, I think, of writing. But what if I did get to use some of it? <laughs> And so in my notebook, I literally wrote um, in big letters, all caps, OK, <laughs> followed by in more normal sized uh, handwriting. What do we want to use from our Lagos research? What do we want to use from 
even let's say Toronto, where I currently live, or other cities I've lived like uh, Ottawa, London, or briefly Reading. Actually, I just remember that now. Hmm. And then what do we really need to know before outlining stories? Well, following that workflow I created for myself so I'd have a little structure, which I was still desperately feeling the need for, I first went back through my green notebook, which was the Feral City notebook, much as the Den one is the Untitled Sword and Sorcery novel notebook, and just kind of went through page by page and just copied over stuff into the Denim notebook that I thought was interesting and potentially could be adapted for this setting. Then I went back through one or two of the books that I had bought and heavily highlighted with details of Lagos and other things that I thought I would weave into that novel and thought, eh, maybe I could use them or a variation of them in this. And that's a long list. But in short, I will say one thing that definitely found its way in and I can see myself using in a story is the fact that I like how I, I like from a storytelling standpoint, let's be clear here. I like how Lagos has an island, literally called Lagos Island, um, barely off its coast, connected by bridges and so on, that is where the wealthy live. And they're very much working hard to make it into their kind of version of the movie Elysium, uh, except they're not in space, they're just off the coast of their city. And I don't know, there was just something kind of interesting. I like that in my mind, the idea that ships coming into my fantasy city might see kind of almost a moon crescent shaped island filled with the grandest of manners that makes the city look amazing. But then you kind of weave around it to go into the actual port and oh, there's the rest of the city with maybe, you know, slums in a marshy area that all the houses are on stilts and uh, the rest of it. You know, the reality is hiding behind this curtain of wealth. I like that. So while I don't see this being fantasy Lagos, right, I do see Lagos as being the core of my inspiration for the city, which may contain other things that have nothing to do with Lagos. I mean, hell, in Feral City, I was planning to have some very important characters that brought in some elements from uh, Japan, Japanese culture, and maybe those will find their way into this. I don't know yet. But having that core in my mind makes me feel a lot sure on my feet for going forward. My notes from places I live in currently, or have lived in the past, were pretty slim. Toronto, you know, I was like, raccoons? <laughs> uh, maybe we can come up with a fantasy take on homes as commodities. You know, empty luxury condos, wealth concentrated into something too heavy for thieves to steal. Well, actually, yeah, maybe. I mean, I know that problem is not remotely unique to Toronto, but it's pretty bad here, folks. <laughs> Try buying a house. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I, 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 as I'm recording this, I am undecided as to whether or not I'm going to base a whole story around that idea. Uh, so I guess you'll find out along with me in a later episode. Anyway, I didn't get too heavy on this. I may come back to it later. You know, I just had a few lines here and there for Toronto, Ottawa, Reading even, uh, but not London, which I just felt, you know, London, boy, oh boy, London, England has been used as the setting for a gabillion stories and like fantasy London even more so, I would say. And so that brings me to more or less the end here, which is, well, okay, Oliver, this has all been very fun and very loose, but you do need to know some real basics. You can't completely avoid the thing of writing a kind of role-playing game source book or whatever. You got to answer some basic questions here, buddy. If only to protect yourself from having to do a lot of retconning if, say, later in the game you decide, um, actually, it's a monarchy, uh, not a democratic republic. So I wrote down, I was like, um, yeah, okay, approximate geography, quote unquote, West Africa. All right, so I'll use that as my reference point for things like climate. 
Uh, is it a port? Yes. Is it big? Oh, yes. Uh, for Well, big for, you know, approximately 800 AD, which is the year I'm imagining this takes place and were it to take place on Earth. Again, reference point, not literal fact in the story. Is it a city-state or part of a nation? City-state. Is it multi-ethnic? Very. What are the dominant groups? Mmm, I don't care. I'm going to figure that out as the story is needed. I think that I can get away without having to map out beforehand. However, when I'm trying to imagine what the place looks like, I think of a quote from a book I was reading while doing these notes, which was Carl Edward Wagner's novel Bloodstone, in which there's a throwaway line about how a city the main character comes to is, uh, well, let me just read it to you. Bremen was a young city, so that timber formed the bulk of its construction. Well, I read that line and I was like, oh, geez, yeah, okay, well, how old is this city? Well, ancient in quotation marks, you know, just like it is ancient, not that I have to define exactly how old it is. Yeah, maybe maybe an earlier settlement from long ago lay deep beneath its sewers, but several centuries for sure, long enough to grow many stone buildings. I did see those in my imagination. And a set or three of stone walls. Yeah, I do want this place to have history because history gives me options. I can fill in that history later as it serves my stories. Nice. Who the heck runs this show, this city-state? Well, it does kind of inspire me to look back at Fritz Leiber, who had essentially an overlord position, which was basically just a series of dictators of no specific lineage, I don't think, uh, ruling over his Lankmar. And the, the Lankmar didn't seem to have a major church or some kind of senate or body of nobles to jockey with. It, it just the overlord. The overlord ran the show. People were loyal to the overlord until such time as the overlord died. There was a body of nobles, but I, I don't know that he ever got into any details about that stuff, even in um, Swords Against Lankmar, the fifth book, which arguably provides the most detailed look at how the city worked at that level. Maybe I'm forgetting something. In fact, that's quite possible. But... That's what I remember as a reader and fan who also has been studying these stories. And while it's true not every reader has the same priorities, I gotta use myself as the model here. I'm writing to please myself as much as uh, an imaginary audience, which is a whole other discussion for another episode. So I think that's the level of detail I feel like getting into here. I'm just gonna say, yeah, this has also got some kind of non-hereditary dictatorship going on. I like that because, yeah, I just like it. The end. All right, let's move on. How is it divided? Well, you got churches, guilds, ethnic groups, and cultures, highly structured upper class and chaotic lower class, perhaps. Maybe flip it around so that one, you know, it's the other way around. You know, the, the, the poor people are very highly structured and the nobles are chaotic. Uh, what are the dominant trades? I don't care. I moved on from that part. You know, again, things that I can work out in the story. What does it matter if I know now that carpentry is like the dominant trade of this city? Literacy? Well, the church usually organizes that in the kind of era I'm imagining. Then uh, waste management, dealing with how dark medieval cities were. I mean, think about how dark they were at night. They did not have the light pollution that we have now. How their army is maintained and trained. Answering those questions all could spark stories by being deeply researched. But I felt it was better to seek answers as needed since this is only about 25% of my book. Let's remember that. If this was the whole novel, maybe, maybe it'd be worth answering those questions. So, I wrote in the notebook in big giant letters, uh, as I like to do to jar myself out of uh, a malaise when I'm reading. Themes? If I was only writing one story in this city, I would actually have started here. I would have just come up with like, well, what is the theme and thematic statement? What am I trying to say? You know, what's going on with that? 
What are the big ideas for the story? Cool. Okay, figure those out. Now to build the city around those, to make every decision about what the city is like, support those ideas. But I'm not writing one story. I'm writing four. Nonetheless, this is worth considering, even if I have to be more flexible than in you know the case of only writing the one story. And so I'm thinking, you know, are we trying to comment on our society? It's bad. Or create an other place. Hmm, well, okay. Still feeling a little lost at this point. I thought, well, okay. Friendship and acting in good faith are the most important things in life, is a statement I could see being the core of Vo and Teravam's adventures together, friendship obviously coming from their friendship together, and the whole thing of the importance of acting in good faith being a core value of Vo's that comes from the very first story you meet her in. And as far as, you know, do we design this city, this setting, uh, to let people know that society is terrible? Well, Conveniently, while I was making these notes, I tripped over an Ursula K. Le Guin quote. She shows her head again, and I'm always happy when she does. The quote is this. Most adults already know that life is hard and full of grief, and they look for both confirmation of this and consolation for it in art. Yeah, I like that. So, okay, I figure let's have a city where, sure, corruption is endemic, power is forever fought over, etc., etc., but... That's never the message or the big reveal in any of the stories I'm telling in that setting. I made up my mind that the message in my stories, in my quote-unquote Lankmar, is always going to be something related to friendship, community, and navigating the challenges in both. A journey best not shied away from as the alternative is being lonely and, likely, contributing to the mess we need friendship and community to survive. How this shapes the city, I uh, again feel I would better navigate via the demands of any given story than writing a detailed guide. Besides, it's characters and adventure that interest me much more than granular world building, in case I haven't made that abundantly clear by this point. And so I figure for now, it's a dynamic, complex, large playground for Vo to reinvent herself in while enjoying the first, strongest new friendship of her young adult life. She is comfortable and feels unconstrained, and very quickly. She can't imagine life without Tiravem. She can't imagine living anywhere but... Oh no, we've reached the monster at the end of the podcast episode. I have to name the city! And I really do have to name it, not just for the reason I gave, but because, like, if I give it a holding name, I know myself. That name, holding names, holding titles, they tend to just set like stone and are very hard for me to undo if I want to change them later. This is because my inner school child who doesn't, you know, is just like, I, I did my homework, I, I came up with a name, can I go to recess now, is very loud. <laughs> very hard to ignore. So, okay, do I follow the well-established fantasy in general, really, sword and sorcery for sure, tradition of just taking a place from real life and fiddling the name a little bit? Like how, um, you know, in The People of the Black Circle, the Afghanis are the Afghulis, or in something more contemporary, you know, I just finished the first Law trilogy by Joe Abercrombie in which there is a country called Styria. No, 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 it's not Syria. It's got a T in there. Oh, and sidebar to the Abercrombie fans, I know Styria isn't actually meant to be like the Syrian culture and peoples. If anything, it's kind of more like Italy, if I understand correctly. I don't know. It wasn't a big part of that trilogy I read. <laughs> or, okay, do I, if I don't want to do that, I don't think I do, especially because I'm very wary of the whole uh, Lagos, you know, one-to-one -one thing happening, which I do not want to have happen. 
then do I just make up nonsense and slam syllables together? I could. So that also was a long, proud tradition of uh, science fiction, fantasy, etc. But then I would know it was just me slamming syllables together. It wouldn't feel like anything. It would feel like air in my head. And uh, there's already enough there. So no, I don't think I want to do that. I don't want to reuse the same technique I did to name Vo's new best friend, a Tiravam. I don't want to say, look at languages from the region that I'm roughly imagining, you know, this being located in, and then be like, well, what's a word that kind of represents this city in that language? And then just nab it. I worry it might have the same problem as just naming it Le Gauche or something, <laughs> in which case, again, I would just be trying to do a one to one translation in my imagination as I develop things, and I don't want to do that. So what does that leave me? Well, when you're really lost and scared, sometimes you look to your parents. Which is to say, in my flailing here, I'm thinking, what if I took my mother and father's middle names and jammed them together? Except I think I've done that. No, wait, no. Anne and Gordon. Angor. Angordon. Angordon. No, that sucks. I don't like that. But what about my middle names? Because lucky me, I've got two. Ah, yes, my full name, Oliver Thomas Coles Brackenbury. And my sin number, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, Thomas Coles. I mean, there's literally a whole guy inside me. <clears throat> uh, yeah, Thomas Coles. <laughs> so what if uh, Tom Cole? No, that sucks. Plus, Tiravam starts with a T, right? I don't want Tiravam's adventures in Tom Cole. Just, I don't know, whatever. Don't, don't want that. Uh, what if I flip it around? C-O-L-T-O-M, Coltom. Hmm, that's feeling less sucky, although it could sound kind of English if I pronounce it Coltom. Uh, why don't we take the C, replace it with a K. That's less English, which is a good direction to be moving, I think, for this. And why don't we stick an H in there? K-H-O-L-T-U-M, Coltom. No, that still sounds kind of English. Let's keep it T-O-M, Coltum. Coltum? Well, I can decide how it's pronounced. Coltum. Yes. The name will be Coltum, which also sounds vaguely ancient Egyptian, and that kind of works with the fact that I want the city to have a deep history and also be ostensibly in a kind of Africa. Alright. The name of the city will be Coltum, and that is where Vo and Turavan will have their weird and crazy adventures in their mid to late twenties. Nice. I slayed the monster, I think. Unless you think that name sucks. I don't know. Tell me. Ah. <laughs> All right. Thank you for coming on that little journey with me there, which I was getting a little stressed out about the ending of. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, thinking back to the interview with Michael Curtis that I did a couple of episodes ago, you know, I think about what he and I said about the filling in of the gaps in Lankmar, you know, which is to say, I look forward to what I wind up filling in the gaps between these pieces that I figured out in my writing of the stories, and maybe somewhere down the road hearing what you imagine filling in those gaps between the established facts. Could be pretty cool. In the meanwhile, maybe I should outline some stories. Oh yes, next week you'll hear about the very first story of Vo and Tiravam in the city of Koltum. Have I named that story yet? No! <laughs> no, I haven't! Oh no. So I'm Writing a Novel features original music by Gloria Guns and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to so I'm writing a novel at gmail.com. Bonus points if you record yourself and send me an mp3 I can cut into the show. 
doesn't have to be fancy. Using your phone is fine. Just keep it clear and concise. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so underscore writing. That's at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it, leaving a review on iTunes, and checking out patreon.com slash so I'm writing a novel. Patrons get to be thanked in the final novel, listen to episodes of the podcast a week early, and even enjoy a bonus podcast called So I Wrote a Novel, where I read and comment on chapters of previous works, starting with my first novel, Junkyard Leopard. Thanks for hanging out with me, and I'll see you soon.